Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Um, If you don't have a Bible but have a phone in the Bible app on your phone, uh, one of the ways that we uh, put the scriptures out there that we're going to go through is on the Bible app. And so you can just open up the Bible app. And in the bottom right-hand corner, um, it says more. Click on that. Go to events, which is the next page. And then there you'll see Restoration Church. Um, And then you click on that and it'll go to uh, that's that page, um, which says Kingdom Culture, and then it has just a list of passages uh, that uh, we'll go through this morning. Um, we might get through all of them. We might not. Who knows? Um, uh, that is where you'll find all the scriptures. I just had Matthew 22 up on the screen uh, because, uh, frankly, ran out of time of copying and pasting from uh, the internet onto the screen, and I thought, you guys have Bibles and you have phones, so you can open up uh, your, either your Bible or your phone and uh, follow along. Um, well, this, uh, this fall, we want to immerse ourselves into something um, and really dive into uh, creating a culture here at Restoration Church. There's been a culture for uh, a couple years, a culture uh, that you've already seen of a connection, of people really willing to pray for one another, to care for one another. Um, I uh, shared in the email this week uh, something that uh, Todd Whiteman uh, shared, and uh, he shared uh, uh, in an interaction with uh, somebody um, who said, how big is Restoration Church? As uh, they uh, just uh, uh, got to, to hear all that uh, had happened. Uh, um, and uh, Todd's response was one that I'll never uh, forget. And it's something that uh, will just impact me and I hope impact us. And uh, their resp- his response was, Restoration Church is massive. Massive. And I love that word, massive, because that communicates so much. That communicates love, that communicates impact, that communicates uh, nothing about the number of people, but about the the amount of kingdom impact that all of you have in people's lives. As we live our lives for the glory of Jesus, uh, people, you know, see like, wow, something is going on. And our greatest desire, my greatest desire, is that people don't see us, but that they see Jesus. My prayer is that uh, in light of John the Baptist, who said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That is the biggest desire of our lives. And so we want to have a culture of the kingdom of God where um, people are seeing the kingdom of God come crashing into earth in such a way where they are changed not by us, but by the king, King Jesus. And all of this came out of a conversation that I had uh, back on August 16. Uh, this summer. It was 7.30 in the morning. I was hanging out at Russ's on uh, 8th Street, uh, right where that Y happens. And I was just expecting to catch up with my friend Dan Ralia over some breakfast and over some eggs and some bacon. And uh, as Dan was uh, pouring uh, coffee into his cup and putting butter in his coffee um, and having that bullet coffee or whatever that uh, he is doing right now, um, our conversation took a, a turn that was frankly surprising. Uh, a turn um, that really uh, resulted in his words really penetrating my heart. And it was one of those moments where it was just a spirit-led conversation, which to me is such a value. To us, it's such a value that the Spirit of God, the presence of God, can break in at any moment. Whether you are walking with a friend, whether you are on uh, your campus, whether you're in the grocery store, all of a sudden, if our hearts are open and geared towards the Lord, we can be surprised by how God comes in powerful ways. And so I'm sitting in this uh, booth with Dan, and we're talking about vision. Frankly, we're talking about Restoration Church and, and, and vision. And, and I wrestled with him, and not wrestled with him physically, but wrestled back and forth. Like um, I get sometimes frustrated over that vision word. 
because vision can mean a, a, a number of different things, like what um, programs are you going to have, or uh, what different things are you going to, to be engaged in. And I just was confessing with Dan, like my frustration over that word, but fully aware, according to Scripture, that without vision, people perish. Um, there is a need for vision. And Dad, Dan said something that I'll never forget and something that we're going to press into uh, for the next couple months. And Dan said this, um, it's not our vision that we need to come up with. It's what is the vision of the kingdom of God according to Scripture? What is the vision of the kingdom of God according to Scripture? Now, we might be thinking, okay, what is the kingdom of God? That's like fancy terminology. And I would just say it this way. The kingdom of God is anywhere where the king is present. It's the reign and the rule of Jesus. Or to put it at the very ground floor, it's what happens when Jesus walks into the room. When we look at scripture, when we look at the gospels and how Jesus interacted with people, what happens what takes place? Lives are transformed. Those who are sick are healed. Those who are broken, their lives are put together. Those who have no hope are filled with hopelessness. People's lives transform in the presence of Jesus. And they move from darkness into light. And that is what we are about. That is our heart desire, is to see the kingdom of God come crashing into earth. That is our vision. And so as I started to think about the kingdom of God, what does that look like? You know, I thought about Jesus, who actually taught us to pray. And he said, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Starts with worship. We worship you, Father. And then the, pray, then the requests start coming in. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. I mean, that's how we're to pray. God, your kingdom come to earth. Jesus also, when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, and this verse has already been shared this morning. Jesus talks and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about your life. Don't freak out. Don't get all, you know, in a, in a, in a tizzy over what your life is going to be about. Here's what you're need, you need to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is what we're to pursue Jesus said, just pure and simple, he said, pursue the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Just do that. Don't worry. Don't freak out. And so my question is, what does the kingdom of God look like? What happens when the kingdom of God comes crashing in? What are we to pursue? What are we to give our life towards? Well, the good news is, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. In the Gospel of Matthew, over 30 times, he mentions the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of Luke, over 30 times, it's the kingdom of God. And so there's plenty to pick from. And so this fall, we're going to completely immerse ourselves in the kingdom of God and, and ask that the kingdom would come crashing into earth here, but that we would develop a culture of the kingdom, a culture that pursues the kingdom, that is living for the glory of the king King Jesus. And so Matthew 22, I want to turn there and begin there and just uh, share a couple things. Um, and then uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into more. But Matthew 22 uh, says this, Jesus spoke to them in parables. And Jesus was speaking to the religious people. And he said this, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. 
Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So much to pick apart in this passage, but I want you to get this picture that here is this great wedding feast, a great wedding feast where, where everything is ready. There's massive amounts of steak and chicken and, and salmon. I think those are always like the three things that are on a wedding menu, like steak and, and, and uh, uh, chicken and salmon, like, and then also some pasta dish for those who don't eat meat. And you know, just imagine this huge spread. And the, 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 the king like, took a lot of time in creating the spread and even uh, designated a, a specific cow to be slaughtered, a fattened calf. Like everything was ready, like the best wine, the best drink, the best desserts, all the side dishes, like everything is there. No expense would have been spared. And people would have heard that this was being prepared, that this was coming. And they would have been told that, like, be prepared. There is going to be a time that comes when you're going to be invited to the feast. And so the king gets done and all the preparations have been made. And so he starts sending his servants out to invite people in. He goes to those who were invited. Come, and like everything is ready. Like, let's celebrate. It's time to eat. Like, let's, let's enjoy this party. Let's fill our bellies. It's time to celebrate with the king. A huge feast is ready. They're ringing the dinner bell. Like, everybody come. But those who were invited, you heard it in there. Those who were invited are like, no, we got other things going on. We knew this was coming, but we're actually not going to come because we're preoccupied with other things. And so, you know, even some of these people who were invited, they made fun of these servants who were coming to them. Some uh, were killed even uh, for telling them that the wedding feast is happening. And the thing that amazes me, though, about this passage is what the king doesn't do. He doesn't say like, oh, those people are busy. We've invited them. They're not coming. I guess we're going to cancel the wedding feast. No, he doesn't cancel the wedding feast. Instead, he goes out and he says, go servants, go out into the town and invite as many people as you can find. Good, bad, I don't care. Like in the the gospel of Luke, it says, compel them to come. Make them come. This is not some small little COVID invite. The king is casting the net so wide. Why? Because he wants the hall to be filled, filled with people. And so I look at this passage and I ask the question, what is the culture of the kingdom of God? What can we pull out of this first little story where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this great wedding feast that a king put out for his son? What can we learn about the culture of the kingdom? 
And it comes down, first of all, to the fact that there is a great feast. Like, let's not lose sight of that. There is a great feast that the king is preparing. And that makes me go back to the Old Testament where God told the people to build a temple. And within the temple was the Holy of Holies. And on a table that he gave very specific directions on how to build, he placed a a plate. And on that plate, there was 12 loaves of bread. And those bread was known as the bread of the presence. God's presence wanted to dwell with his people. The truth about the great wedding feast is when you are invited to dinner, like it shouts that somebody wants to be with you, that his presence wants to be with you. You know what happens when you get, over, get uh, invited over for dinner? Like you come in, you kick off your shoes maybe, if that's custom in the house, you sit down, you have a conversation. An invitation to a feast is an invitation into relationship. Like at the very foundation of uh, this kingdom culture is the fact that it's all about the presence of God. Like it's all about the presence of God. That is foundational to this kingdom culture that God wants to be with his people. I mean, think about that. I've said this numerous times, but I'd never want us to lose sight of this in our minds, but more importantly, in our hearts. The God who, if you go to the highest mountain, he's there. If you sink to the lowest valley, if you go to Death Valley where there's just nothing, it's not true. God is there. Anywhere we go, God is there. But the truth about Scripture that we see all throughout Scripture is that God wants to dwell with His people. God who could dwell anywhere, God who could hang out anywhere, He wants to be with you. I want to go on a little journey and just look at a couple verses. Um, These are not on the screen. Turn to Genesis 3, verse 8. Genesis 3, verse 8. And I'm going to ask as we, as I read a couple of these verses, any history that you have or any like, you know, we can be a part of religion and Christianity for a long time that a lot of this just can become uh, normal to us. And we're like, oh yeah, we get this. But I want you to like look at these passages in a new way this morning. And let this truth really sink in. Genesis 3, 8. This is already after Adam and Eve had sinned and they ate of the, the fruit. And it says this, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now this happened out of after they had sinned. But I dare say that this was not the first time the Lord took a walk. This was probably something that happened on a regular basis. And so here is at the very beginning a picture of God who breathed life into Adam, who fashioned him out of, out of dust and caused him to come alive, who took a rib out of his side and, and created Eve. Here is, is the God of the universe who goes walking with those he, who, create, who he created in his image. Fast forward to uh, Leviticus 26. This is the book of the Bible where people often stall out when it comes to uh, reading through the Bible in a year. Um, Leviticus 26. This is God's heart. This is after his people have been rescued out of Egypt. He says this, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you or hate you. I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Look at verse 11. I will make my dwelling among you. I will make my dwelling among you. I will be your God. I will be your king. I will be with you. This is the very heart of God. He wants to dwell with his people. Jeremiah, we're not going to look at that one, but Jeremiah 32, after he had uh, caused them to go into captivity because of their sins, they had turned their backs on the one who wanted to be their king. And after that happened, he brought them back and he says, I will dwell with you. I will be with you. I will be your God. But turn to Mark chapter 1. I'm sorry, Mark, Mark chapter 3. This is a picture of Jesus. And I wanted to include this one because Jesus is the... Uh, Visible image of the invisible God. This is God in a bodily form. And so we see his heart on display. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles. Why? So that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. Jesus selected 12 for the very purpose of being with him. Wanted to dwell with them. Fast forward one more to where all of history is going. Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Does the simple fact that God wants to dwell with you, dwell with us, his people, does that blow your mind? Does that blow your heart away that every single day you have a Father in heaven who loved you so much that he brought you back into relationship with himself through the blood of his son Jesus? He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to boldly enter his throne with confidence and pour out your heart to him. He wants to dwell with you. And here's the thing that you see all the way through Matthew 22. He's inviting people into it. It's this great invitation. The word that is repeated over and over and over again in Matthew 22 is invite, invite. He's inviting people into this. Come, be a part of my feast. Come, be, come into my presence. Come, be a part of my family. Come and invite more and more people. This demonstrates his heart that is for us, that he desires you and I. I won't read it right now, but read Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17, it says, He rejoices over us with singing. He longs for us to be in relationship with Him. But the thing that I want to wrap up with is Matthew 22, verse 2. It says, The wedding feast, King wanted to throw a huge wedding feast, but who was it for? It was for His Son, Jesus. For Jesus. 
everything that we do here, our very lives, everything that we're a part of, it is all for Jesus. It is all for His glory. Often I'll do a wedding and it gets to the part that everybody is looking forward to. And if they're allowed to take out their cameras uh, on their phone, uh, this is a part of the ceremony that everybody wants to get a picture of. And it's the picture of what? The kiss. You may now kiss your bride. And usually before a ceremony uh, starts, the photographer will come over to me, and, and they're always really nervous to ask this question. And they, they come up to me and they go, like, when, okay, you know, when you, they get to that place where they're going to kiss you know, uh, one another, do you know what to do? And I look at them and I'm like, this is not my first rodeo. I know exactly what to do. You want me to step away because no one wants to see Dave in the middle of the picture where two people are kissing. I did tell one couple, I said, I, I think at one time I, I just wanted to put my, my head in there and have them both kiss my cheek. I'm like, I think that would make a good picture. That is the moment where everybody wants to be so fixated on the bride and the groom kissing. And so I gently move away, get out, of the, get out of the scene. I thought about that this week. There's a temptation in our lives, temptation that goes all the way back to the beginning. And the temptation is this, to make lives, our lives, about ourselves. To put ourselves in this picture, be like, life is about me. Hey, I'm here, look at me, see me. And even in the church, it can become so tempting to make everything about us. Or even as we live our lives and pour out our lives for the glory of Jesus, we want to be seen, we want to be noticed. We try to make things about ourselves. But I will dare say, and I'll say boldly, that here at Restoration Church, we are living for one reason and one reason only. I don't want people to see me or anybody in this room. I want people to see King Jesus. He is who we are living for. He is the one who receives all the glory. And so what are we going to do this fall as we step into life, this kingdom culture? And I want to get just very specific briefly, and then we're going to wrap up uh, by singing a song and taking communion. I um, want, want you to know a couple of things. We are passionate about the presence of God. We are passionate about the, the presence of God as we come together here on Sunday mornings. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am going to be there. Jesus is here in this space. Jesus is here when, there when you're meeting with somebody. Uh, but here, as we're worshiping together, Jesus is here. And so we are going to sing to Jesus. We're going to be led by him. We're going to be led by the Holy Spirit who just wants to point us to Jesus. We are going to worship and sing directly to Jesus. Worship cannot be about us. I have seen too often in, in the last couple years a lot of worship songs be very self-focused, singing about ourselves. That's why like this summer as I led worship and I encourage others uh, in picking out songs, we're going to sing about the holiness of Jesus. We're going to sing to him. We're going to tell him that we love him like he is in the room because guess what? He is in the room. We will sing to Jesus and also we're going to be very spirit-led in our gatherings. We are not going to have a, a time where we come together and we do three songs, a sermon, and then we, then we go. I believe that the Spirit is here and wants to speak to the group of people that are gathered here in this space. And so you can get phenomenal teaching, you know, other places and online. And I love listening to teaching when I go for a run. And I'm not going to say, like, we're going to do teaching here in this space. But it is very targeted towards, like, what does God want to do in this space at this very specific time? 
One of the things that I'm excited about about our worship gatherings leading into the fall is uh, you've seen um, Joel Van Zanten and Trenton Hildebrand come and uh, lead worship, and they're part of a group called Met by Love in Every Heart Up in Grand Rapids. We have uh, developed an, a partnership with them where they're going to be coming to lead worship uh, amongst us because they get that heart. They get the heart of singing to Jesus, and others like uh, Ben and others are going to fill in when they can't. Uh, be a part of uh, this gathering, but we are going to be bold in our worship in this space that we are going to sing to Jesus. We're going to be relational with God. You see on there, we're relational with God, but also relational with one another. Um, we're going to continue to pray for one another. To I encourage you to cross uh, the aisle and uh, go talk to one another and engage in relationships because we want this to be a place where people are fully known, fully known, where the masks come off, and you're comfortable enough to say, you know what, I'm not doing well. And we are bold enough to say, well, we are going to pray for you. We're not going to give up on you. We're going to walk with you. I was at a, a party this week, and uh, there was a huge spread and, and everything. People were talking. Uh, but as I went around and as others went around and talked to people, people were like, yeah, life's not going all that well. Life is a struggle. Life is, you know, tough. And I'm like, wow, in the midst where everybody had their best on, Nobody was doing that well. I want this to be a place, church to be a place where you can come and be real, to be vulnerable, but also be loved. And so we're going to be a place that um, is that, where we're seeking the presence of the Lord, relational with one another, and relational with the Lord. But also throughout the week, we're going to meet together. And uh, here are some things that are coming up. Um, these are places where you can be known, where you can be loved, where you can grow into a deeper level of uh, community. Uh, the first thing that's coming um, uh, starting on September 18th, uh, CC is leading a group uh, for women uh, called Fledge, which is uh, helping launch your kids without losing your mind. As uh, our goal is uh, for, the par for the kids to, to leave the house, uh, to go make a life on their own, but how do we navigate that, uh, that time of life? And so Cece's going to be leading that group uh, on Monday nights. And then also on Wednesday nights, the men's Bible study is going to continue. Um, we're actually talking this fall about having a south side of Holland group and then also a Zealand group uh, to, to hopefully gather more and more men together. But over the last two years, God has done so much in that group. As we come together to open up the Word and to pray for one another, there has been huge transformation that has taken place. Um, also, uh, women's Bible study will start on Fridays at Jen Gruppen's house, Fridays 9 a.m. Uh, in the morning, and that's just a wonderful, wonderful time of getting into the Word and uh, praying for one another. And then also there's going to be other small group opportunities and then also youth group. Um, uh, I, I'm working with other uh, churches in doing some youth group stuff together, and there's already some things planned, and I'll share more information about that. But if you want to even be a part of a small group, uh, I know of a couple people who are willing to lead that. And so if you're like, hey, I would love to be in a small group, uh, let, us, let us know. Uh, but here's a big thing. Uh, we have done community at Restoration Church really well. We've gotten into each other's lives really well. But here is where we need to grow, um, and it's in this invitation piece. Uh, we are going to go after those who don't belong to the kingdom of God, those people who don't know Jesus. We are going to put ourselves into positions where we are going to have gospel conversations, but we're also going to go after those who don't belong to a community, those who don't have anybody to walk through uh, life with. We are going to go after uh, them, and we're going to equip people to do that. There, um, besides Jennifer, who uh, is a powerful story, we haven't seen too many people come to faith in Jesus. 
You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptize them. That is what we're going to go after. We're going to equip one another to do that and have opportunities um, to do that this fall, to have various outreaches. And then lastly, there's a, a partnership that we have developed where four people are coming from overland uh, missions to, um, to uh, work with us, to raise people up, to go to the nations with the gospel, to uh, go on expeditions next summer. And uh, Reese is coming back, and he'll, he'll be back this week, but there's also another Reese and then a couple that's coming. And so at the end of the day, we want to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus, inviting people into this great relationship with God through Jesus. And so what we are after at Restoration Church, and this is the last thing, we want to see people who are um, contributors and not consumers. The very first Sunday uh, of Restoration Church's history, I said, if we had 50 people who are all in on the kingdom of God, contributing to the kingdom of God, so much more can be done than thousands of consumers who are just receiving. And that has proven to be true over the last couple of years as we have made a massive impact for the kingdom of God because people are just like, you know what? I'm all in. I'm having conversations with people in the workplace. I'm praying with people. I'm learning how to pray because we do this every week. And so this is who we're going to be moving forward into the fall. We're going to immerse ourselves in this kingdom culture and a prayer of we just want to see the kingdom of God come uh, in West Michigan on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And we're going to close out in uh, just a very specific way. Move this over here. We're going to sing same God. And uh, as we sing this, it's just a prayer, like, God, do it again. We want to see your kingdom come in powerful ways. But as we sing this song, Mike Gruppen, Mike Gruppen, can you come up here? Uh, We're going to invite you to come forward and take communion. And uh, this table will be in the middle. Um, I'm going to invite you to take a piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And it's a way uh, for you to respond to the Lord's invitation this morning to say, I am all in. I'm going to say yes to you, Father. Uh, Say yes to the great invitation to come to the feast and to live not for myself, but live for your glory. And so let's sing this song, and let's go row by row and take communion this morning. There's also a gluten-free option up here. So come row by row, and uh, we'll take together.